Okay, are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Well, whether here, City Campus, or in uh, online, here we go. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 5, and i read for you once again the Magna Carta of the Kingdom. Um, Matthew 5, reading from verse 1, I'll read you through all the way um, to verse 12. And Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in, oh, let me begin right at the top in verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those um, pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven." For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, again, we ask that you will anoint us as we uh, deliver your word and as, as I allow your word to be unpacked. I pray that, Lord Jesus, you will speak to us individually. As we commit this time to you, may your word become alive for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. The Sermon on the Mount uh, is the inauguration speech of the kingdom of God by our Lord and our King, Jesus Christ. And you notice that in the start of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus began by outlining for us what I would call the core values of the kingdom of God. And we call it the Beatitudes. Now what we need to remember is that this kingdom core values are rooted in who our King is. Because everything that is reflected in this uh, in the Beatitudes, it's really a, a reflection of who our King Jesus is. Now, these core values or these Beatitudes, they are not the means to, a re to be in relationship with God, but rather they are the fruits of our relationship with God. It's because we are in relationship with God that we begin to produce, uh, we begin to embrace these core values, okay? Uh, the Beatitudes, you notice, began with the right attitude towards God, by being poor in spirit, by recognizing our own spiritual depravity, by recognizing our own spiritual bankruptcy, we then look to God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this leads to a right attitude towards sin. When we begin to see the holiness of God, we begin to see the ugliness of sin. And then we end up with a spirit that is able to mourn over our own brokenness. Now, this in turn then lead to a right attitude uh, in our dealings with others. We begin to recognize that we ourselves are so broken and therefore we are able to relate with meekness towards others as well. See, because we recognize our own depravity, our own brokenness. And then we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, which makes us more and more like Jesus. And then this leads us to the fifth beatitude, which is to have a heart of mercy. And this is something that we will study uh, this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
Now, best way I can introduce Mercy to you. I was getting my photograph taken uh, once, you know, for a Bible college uh, magazine. And so they sent a photographer to me and the, the photographer was about to take my picture. I just jokingly turned to the photographer and I said, you know, I hope that your photo will do me justice. This guy turned to me without even batting an eyelid. He said, Pastor, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> you know, today we live in a society that is built on merit rather than mercy. Isn't that true? Uh, to be merciful is not part of the top 10 attributes of a successful person. <laughs> it's not really in that. But to, be, to show mercy is something we do in church. It's not something we do in the marketplace, it seems. Mercy is seen almost like a sign of weakness. You are too merciful. <laughs> it's almost seen as a sign of weakness. The Roman world that Jesus was in, you need to understand, also did not admire mercy. Some of their philosophers actually call mercy a disease of the soul. They see mercy as a disease of the soul. But our Lord Jesus changed all of that. He lived out mercy everywhere He goes. He taught His disciples, you know, how to practice mercy. This word mercy, blessed are the merciful, mercy, merciful, used here in the Greek is the word eli imon, which actually means actively compassionate. Eli imon, which actually means actively compassionate. In other words, it's not just a feeling of pity, but it is a compassion that leads to action. It is the same word that is used to describe our Lord Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Let me read this for you. For this reason, the writer of Hebrews says, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful, a, layman, a, a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And what's the result of that? Because God was merciful to us, then that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Do you realize it was the mercy of God that actually propelled him to make atonement for our sins? Because God was merciful towards us. We don't deserve it. But he was merciful towards us and he made atonement for our sin. Now, here's the key. Being merciful is part of who God is. See, it's an awesome thought to think that when we are practicing mercy, we are practicing one of the attributes of God. When we are merciful towards others, we are like God. Mercy actually makes me a representative of God to someone else. When I'm being merciful to someone else, I'm like a representative of God to that person. Mercy is when we have a deep concern for the people in need. And it has to do with people that are less fortunate than us. Usually, if we are, we are merciful to someone, it's because that person is in need. See, and less fortunate than us because of disappointment or because of disease or because of distress, whatever it may be. Someone said, mercy is God's ministry to the miserable. Because you are so miserable, I minister to you with the mercies of God. It is active compassion. It's not just a feeling of pity. It's getting into somebody else's skin and then we are able to see from their point of view. That's being merciful. The red Indians will say, walk a mile in my moccasin. You've know, you got to walk in somebody's shoe, feel for that person. And then we can feel what they're feeling and we move in to act on behalf of the one who is hurting. And this is exactly what Jesus did 
when He chose to leave the comforts of the glories of heaven to become one of us. I'll put it this way. Sympathy is when I feel sad because you lost your job. That's sympathy. Empathy is I understand how terrible you feel because I've been jobless before. But mercy is when I offer to pay your bills. Get the point? It's one thing that I feel for you. That's empathy. That's sympathy. Okay, but it's another thing to practice mercy. It drives us to compassionate action. Mercy is when I hold back what people deserve and when I give them what they do not deserve. Justice always gives us what we deserve, but mercy takes us further and it gives us what we do not deserve and it withholds what we actually deserve. See, And this is why we are free to decide who we want to show mercy to. That's also the reason why God actually said in Exodus 33, verse 19, and in various other verses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. Because justice is something that God is obligated to give, but He is free to give mercy to whoever He chooses. So the question now is, if that's the case, if God has the right to show mercy to whom He wants to show mercy, because mercy is not an entitlement, it's something which I choose to give. Now, the question then to ask is, who does God choose to give mercy to? Who does God choose to give mercy to? And I want to outline for you two groups of people that I think the Bible uh, um, uncover for us that we should show mercy to. Number one is, God chooses to show mercy to those who ask for it. How many of you agree? He chooses to give mercy to those who ask for it. Sometimes I meet Christians and I just, uh, you know, just for fun, I'll ask them, so what's up? What's new? Uh, the smart ones always say, there is nothing new under the sun. Called Ecclesiastes, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Then I always tell them, no, the Bible says His mercies are new every morning. Actually, it's true. God's mercies are new every morning. And they are available for all those who ask for it. The problem is there are very few people who feel a need to ask for God's mercy. Most people prefer justice. That's why we always pray, Lord, it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. We prefer justice rather than mercy. No, but I think, you remember the Pharisee we talked about in, our, in, in the start of, it, of, uh, of this series? There was a Pharisee who went to the temple, right? And he read out his spiritual resume to God and he thought he was praying. He read his spiritual resume to God and then he went home empty but there was a tax collector who was beating his chest and crying out to God, God, have mercy on me. And he went home, receiving the mercies of God. Remember the two thieves on the cross? One of them asked for mercy. And I think he ended up on the streets of paradise. The other one didn't. So I think, firstly, God gave mercy to those who would ask for it. So if I ask for mercy, I receive mercy. And then there's a second group of people that God will give His mercy to. It's those who pass on mercy. Those who will pass it on. I think mercy is like electricity. You know, we receive, we need to pass it on. Then we can receive more. 
So, so the picture I get is this, you know, here is a desperate believer, a desperate sinner. So what do we do? We turn to God for mercy. We ask God for mercy. When we receive mercy, we pass it on to others who need mercy. And then when we pass it on to others, we can ask for more. And then more will come. It becomes a beautiful cycle of mercy. See? And, and I think mercy is like that. Jesus is not asking us to be merciful occasionally, but to be a constant channel of God's mercy. We receive and we pass it on. We receive and we pass it on. And the, but the moment we begin to hold uh, 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 unforgiveness, resentment, you know, bitterness in our heart, mercy stops flowing. See, and the moment we, we become angry people, we hold grudges against people, mercy stops flowing. And once that happens, then I think we, our spiritual life gets stuck somewhere. It's almost like mercy must flow freely out of our hearts because mercy has flown freely into our hearts. As I ask, God freely give. I pass it on to others. I can come back and ask. And it becomes a beautiful cycle. I think one of the greatest examples of mercy is Mother Teresa. She is like the epitome of mercy. Into the extreme poverty of Calcutta, she poured out God's mercy. And living out God's mercy was the highest priority in life. You know, do you realize that when there, there was one time I, I read that the great evangelist Billy Graham actually went to Calcutta to visit Mother Teresa. And if uh, Billy Graham were to come and visit our church, we will definitely make sure that, you know, we welcome him and we will greet him and all of that. Mother Teresa kept Billy Graham waiting outside for one hour. <laughs> you know why? She was busy holding the hand of a dying leper singing hymns, you know, to him as he passes into glory. Kept the great man of God waiting outside for one hour while she practiced mercy. And it was her acts of mercy that helped the poorest of the poor die with dignity. And she's always seen to be a beautiful epitome of mercy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We ask for mercy, we receive mercy, and then we give mercy. We ask for mercy, receive mercy, and we give mercy. And that's the beautiful cycle. Luke chapter 6, verse 36, talking about our attitude towards our enemies, Jesus said, be merciful just as our Father is merciful. Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, then your Father will not forgive your sin. Sometimes we read this Matthew 6, 14, and then we start thinking that God is returning tick for tack. You know, that because we don't forgive others, so God refuses to forgive us. But I think there's another way to view it. It's not so much that you can, God will not give you His forgiveness, it's that you cannot receive it. It's a blockage. Um, the best way I can think of it, and I think I first got this idea because I read uh, Shakespeare's um, Merchant of Venice. You know? In Shakespeare's Mer Merchant of Venice, he, he actually made this beautiful statement that goes like this. He says, the, the mercies of God is like rain that fallen from heaven. You know, the mercies of God is not strange. So what he's trying to say is, is that God's mercy falls just like rain from heaven freely. And so the way I see it is this, you know, imagine this is a flower. 
Okay? And there are rain that falls from heaven. And it falls freely, right? That cause this flower to blossom. But the rains of God never, it's, it's like the, the mercies of God is like this rain. It falls freely from heaven. and It never stops. But the thing is, when we begin to harbor unforgiveness, when we begin to harbor resentment, when we harbor anger against people and we refuse to let them go, it's almost like we have put a plastic sheet over ourselves. And once you put that plastic sheet over yourself, even though the rains of God is still falling, you can no longer be a beneficiary of it. And because of this, this flower will die. And it's not because the rain is not falling. It's because we are unable to receive it anymore. And unforgiveness, resentment, anger, you know, that, that vindictive spirit we hold towards another person is what caused the blockage. And it actually kills our spiritual life. See, and, and when we live with that, that kind of unforgiveness, our emotions are chained, our thoughts are bound, and our spiritual growth gets stunted. But when we show mercy, we are liberated, we are set free from grudges that drain us of our spiritual life and our spiritual you know, vitality. But So if you find yourself getting stuck, my brothers and sisters, this morning in your spiritual walk, one good place to start is God am I holding unforgiveness? Am I holding grudges? Am I holding a vindictive spirit towards others? And mercy cannot flow unless you pass it on to others. Now, let me take this idea and apply it to our life. I feel like there are two big enemies of merciful living, and I want to just bring it to your attention. The first is rigidity. What makes people less merciful to others is rigidity. Uh, one of the biggest killers of merciful living, I think, is rigidity. Rigidity is the trademark of legalism. That religiosity that sometimes trapped us. You know, it's, and, and, and rigidity is, once legalism takes over, the believer becomes cold, rigid, unwelcoming. The church becomes like that. There's no, mong, no longer room to make mistakes. Once we are a rigid person, you know, people are not free to grow anymore. And, and people are made to feel guilty whenever they don't measure up. We become conscious, you know, of what others will say about us. We become overly concerned about what other people think of us. We feel bound, controlled, restricted, tensed up. We're no longer free. There's too much rigidity. And we become religious, but not necessarily spiritual. Rigidity is a huge enemy of merciful living. I like what... Um, the prophet said to the Israelites in, My, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, beautiful verse when he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And it's such a beautiful summary of what God's desire is for His people, you know. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And when I look at these three requirements, it's, 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 they're so interrelated because justice will take you this far, but mercy will take you beyond. Justice gives you what you deserve, but mercy actually takes us further. See? And, and, and when we act justly, love mercy, then we walk humbly before our God. All three are interrelated. I think to have mercy without justice 
becomes indulgent. You know, sometimes we, we have so much mercy, but we don't think about the truth. We don't think about justice. That makes us indulgent people. But if you have justice without mercy, it becomes legalism. Now there's rigidity. But then when we have both, I think it's beautiful. And then with that spirit of humility, you walk and you become a beautiful a picture of what a godly man is. We pay truth, grace, justice, mercy, all bound together in a spirit of humility. It's beautiful, isn't it? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of us. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Matthew chapter 23 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, cummings, but you neglected the more important matters of the law, like justice, mercy, faithfulness. See, the rigidity on the outside without the, the spirit on the inside, you know, that justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Both are needed, right? You're blind guides, you strain on a, on a small thing, but you swallow a camel. We can get rigid with small things and then we miss the more important things, see? And we can end up majoring on the minor. So I challenge you, brothers and sisters, that we find this tension, this, this balance. And you find that the major things in the New Testament are often internal rather than external. Justice and mercy must kiss each other. It's beautiful when it happens. Psalms 85, you know, look, read verse 10. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I like that. See, in Romans, uh, James chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Listen to this one. I like the way the Apostle James put it. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because justice, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And here the Apostle James reminded all of us who live in the New Testament to the New Covenant, the lead by the laws of love, which gives liberty, extend mercy to one another instead of just judgment. Let mercy triumph over judgment. I like the story that was told about a guy who came to see John Wesley uh, one time. And when he said to Wesley, he said to him, I never forgive. I never forgive. John Wesley's reply was, I hope you never sin." Why? Because in the same way we judge others, we will be judged. We all tend to judge people. Some of us judge on the outside, some of us judge on the inside. Every one of us are judgmental, actually. And therefore, we really need to embrace this wonderful, merciful God that we serve. Remember how Jesus talked about a guy who got a piece of timber in his eyes, but he go around telling people, you got, a, you got dust in your eyes? Yeah, that's typical Middle Eastern humor, you know, using exaggeration. You got a timber hanging out of your eyes. You go around telling people you got a dust in your eyes. That, that, that to the Middle Eastern world is really humorous. And I can imagine the people listening to Jesus teaching and they all laugh. You know, today you all don't laugh because you cannot, <laughs> not the same kind of humor. But they're using that exaggeration to show us how stupid that is. You know, for us to judge other people when we ourselves are imperfect, you know. So uh, just... Uh, what the Lord is teaching us. Judgmental people can be like that. We see other people's faults, but we cannot detect our own. 
But having a judgmental spirit is like having bad breath, you know. Everybody around you know except you. You know, so we don't realize it. Rigidity, something that we all have to watch out for. It is an enemy of merciful living. Here's the second one. It's retaliation. Retaliation. You know, another big enemy of merciful living is when we have this great need to retaliate a great need to fight back, you know. We must always get even all the time. We must take revenge. We cannot let go. We can't just let God take control. We cannot apply Romans 12, 17 to our life. Repay no one evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't overcome evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. But many people find it hard. We just have to get even all the time. You know, but I tell you, the best way to destroy your enemy is to make him your friend. You know, the, that's the best way to destroy your enemy. Unforgiveness, you know, having that vindictive spirit is actually a prolonged uh, a form of suicide. You know, we kill ourselves. Unforgiveness, you know, really trapped us, but forgiveness will set us free. And, and, and that person accessory is firstly us. It sets us free. We can't get ahead when all we are thinking of all the time is to get even. Never is God more real to us than, is, than when we had to forego the right. We forego the right to retaliate and we choose to show mercy instead. But maybe I ask you to do that and the first thing that comes to your mind is, but it's his fault. It's not my fault, it's his fault. But that's precisely the point. It's precisely because it's his fault. That's why you can show mercy. If it's your fault, then you just eat humble pie. You're not showing mercy. You cannot truly show mercy un unless you have the right to retaliate. You see, and, and you cannot give mercy unless it's justified for you not to. The other party is at fault. That's correct. They deserve to get it from you. You have the right to whack them. But at this point, we allow love to enter the picture. Not to cancel out the truth, but to control it. And because of God's love, we choose to show mercy. We choose to forgive. We choose to let go. And perhaps the best way for us to understand mercy is right, I can put some flesh and bones uh, to this. One great example of this would be, think about this, Joseph and his brother in Genesis. Right? Remember Joseph? His brothers really play him out. And you know the story. It would have been justified for Joseph to hate his brothers. Right? And what did they do? What they did was they lied about him. You know, they actually plotted against him. They sold him as a slave to a foreign land. And they were all out to kill him. They actually was really out to destroy him. So what did he end up? He ended up in a strange land. You know, and then he got seduced by his boss's wife falsely accused of immorality, then thrown into prison. But God will, have, God will not keep a good man down. So what, what, in the end, what happened was, he actually rose and he became the prime minister of Egypt. And then the day came when his brothers are all kneeling before him. At, at that moment, he could have had them for dinner, right? It would have been right for him to just eradicate all of them. He could have eaten them for dinner. And he would have been right. But instead, Joseph chose, what, when he saw that he was his brothers, what did he do? You know the story. He went outside, cried his heart out, wept out all of that is inside of him, came back and chose to, to take the high road of showing mercy. 
giving food to his brothers and taking care of them. He actually did the opposite. He did not yield to the temptation to retaliate, but instead he chose to be merciful and forgive. And brothers and sisters, that's mercy in action. He was rejected, wrong, hated, falsely accused, misunderstood, and disgraced. All of that. If there ever was a candidate for bitterness, he would be number one. But he chose the high road of mercy and grace and saw the glory of God. You know what was his secret? I actually thought that it was found in Genesis 41, verse 51. He chose not to remember his offenses. If you read Genesis 41, 51, it says, Joseph, and when he first had his firstborn child, he named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. It was a prophetic act. <laughs> he was literally deciding at that point when the child was born, name him Manasseh because God has made me forget all of my offenses, all of my troubles and all my father's household. Brothers and sisters, to overlook offenses, to overlook the wrongs that are done against us and exercise mercy, actually, is very, very hard. And we all know that. It's very hard. God must be the one to do the erasing. Only God can come and actually remove the pain of all those offenses. Only God can heal us from the inside out. God has made me forget all of my troubles and all my father's household. On our own, we can never do it. But with God, all things are possible. The prophet Isaiah, speaking to the people of Israel, put it this way in Isaiah 54, verse 4 and 5. He says, Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. The Lord promised the Israelites at that time that they can forget their offenses because the all-merciful one has become their redeemer. The all-merciful one has now become their husband. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this same God has now become our redeemer. And because he is our redeemer, there is no hole too deep that you can fall into that God cannot reach down and pull you out. There is no offense so dark, you know, that you cannot let go because it is God who will enable you. He is our Redeemer. You know, there is no, no hole so dark His light cannot penetrate. You know, there is no situation so bleak that God cannot turn around. We serve an awesome God. He is able. He can remove all of your shame. He can wipe away all your disgrace, all of your reproach. He will remember no more. So to those of us here who may have a painful upbringing, a traumatic childhood, whatever it may be, maybe you suffered the loss of a loved one, this living God will replace those awful, traumatic moments with Himself. He is our Redeemer, our Maker. Hallelujah. He is that all-merciful 
one. And instead, like Psalms 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Amen. Let me end with this and then we'll pray. Uh, Charles Swindoll, a wonderful expositor, wrote a book called Improving Yourself. And in his book, he told this beautiful story, true story about a teacher by the name of Miss Thompson, uh, who taught a year four student, an awkward little boy by the name of Teddy, Teddy Stallard. And what happened was Teddy lost his mom to sickness. And as a result, Teddy lost all motivation to study. He just lost it. He became a very slow, unpopular kid, a very poor learner, a, 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 a loner, you know, shunned by all the other kids in the class. And then came one Christmas when all the kids brought presents, you know, to, to bless their teacher. Everybody came with beautiful, um, beautifully wrapped presents. But Teddy brought nothing but a brown paper bag. That's all he had. And when the teacher opened up the presents in front of everyone, they all celebrate. When Teddy opened his paper bag, all that's inside is um, a little bracelet with, with some missing beads. You know, it's an old bracelet. And then there's a cheap bottle of perfume. And all the kids look at it and they all started giggling, you know. But this Miss Thompson was very sensitive. He knew that that boy was going to be ridiculed. So immediately he took that bracelet and put it on her hand. You know, and then said, oh, how beautiful they are. Then he took that perfume and he sprayed on herself. You know, and that was a moment when Teddy actually turned to the teacher and said, Teacher, you know, you smell just like my mom because it's a mom's perfume, you know. And he said, you know, that my mom's bracelet looked beautiful on you. I'm so glad that you like my presence. And since that day, they started a relationship. And this teacher was always there to guide that child for one whole year. Then after that, they went to different class and the Miss Thompson no longer um, interact with Teddy. Didn't hear from him for many, many years. But many years later, Miss Thompson received a note from Teddy. And it reads like this. And I thought I'll, I'll read that note for you. It goes like this. Dear Miss Thompson, As of today, I am Theodore Stallard, medical doctor. How about that? And I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month. And I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive. You are the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Dr. Teddy Stallard. And Miss Thompson actually went to the wedding and he sat where uh, Teddy's mom would have sat. He was able to celebrate with him because he let God use her, you know, to be an instrument of mercy, an instrument of grace, an instrument of compassion. And when she did, God went to work in a big way. And not only in her life, but in Teddy's life also. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the outworking of mercy. How wonderful it is when we would show mercy to one another. We show mercy to those far away from God. And that's exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ have done for us. On that cross 2,000 years ago, the Son of Man, the Son of God, demonstrated what mercy is by hanging on that cruel cross, shed His blood so that our sins can be forgiven. And on that cross, I think justice and mercy kiss each other. On that cross, 
the penalty for sin was paid. But at the same time, the mercy of God was extended. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of justice and mercy kissing each other. The only thing, the only difference at that point was Jesus himself was not even shown any mercy at all. Look at the way they treated him. He was not shown mercy at all, but yet he chose to show mercy to all of us by declaring on that cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And today, you and I have become undeserving recipients of His mercy and grace. And the only response we can give in return, I think, is to become merciful people. And because we have received from our Lord Jesus so freely on that cross, we now give freely mercy to others. Those, even those who have wronged us. And when we do, that cycle of mercy continues to flow. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Amen. I want to invite the worship team to come. They're going to lead us in a closing song. And But for all of us, some of us here, maybe you have been wronged. Maybe someone has hurt you. Maybe people have not done right by you. And I know how hard it can be. But this morning, we can come before the Lord and in worship, in turning our eyes towards our Lord Jesus, the one who bled freely for us on that cross. We may be struggling to try and release mercy, to try and be forgiving. But this morning, maybe a brother, a sister can come alongside you and just be your strength. And together, we help one another to practice mercy and to release forgiveness so that we can walk out of this place free and more and more like Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you, Lord. In a few moments as we worship the Lord, you know, let the Lord do business with you. Maybe some of us here, really, you need to just say, God, I've, I'm finding it so hard because I've been so wrong. I feel so betrayed. I feel so bitter towards other people, towards another person. But would you come find grace, you know, to be able to say, God, I want to practice mercy because you are the all-merciful one. And then, I want to invite you, you know, that you would come and allow some of us to come alongside you and help you if you are going through that struggle. And we, we help one another to release forgiveness, help one another to practice mercy before I close us in prayer. So let's worship the Lord together, shall we?